you know, I joke to some degree, but I, I, I'm also not 100% joking either, is, is being the final stage of my HIV project is to have the vaccine be transmitted by semen. Well, that's a bonus. Right? I like, can see why that would be a plus. Yeah, that'd be very effective. But then you, what, what's, what if you can start doing other things besides just vaccination, besides immunization, uh, start having other benefits? What if you could use semen to, to, to do this folostatin thing, right? Where that would make you very popular in certain communities. Right? And, yeah, <laughs> and it would spread naturally in the in the right place if, if for the HIV treatment. Like, Welcome to the Furrowed Brow with Jeffrey Kipler. Cool. You 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 ready to get this this started here, Tristan? I think I'm set. All right, let's do it, man. So, welcome to the Furrowed Brow. I am honored to have Tristan Roberts here. Uh, he is deeply involved in the biohacking community, going so far as to inject himself with experimental therapeutics developed outside the federal regulatory framework. He's a deep thinker in the space of DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, and how they uh, intersect with legal frameworks, along with decentralized science, the DSI movement, and has another number of other areas of interest that we're going to touch on. Welcome, Tristan. Thanks, Jeff. I'd say I'm honored to be here, but I don't know if that's going to get me canceled 10 years <laughs> down the road. So I'll just say that, uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk with you on these topics. Cool. Let's see. Yeah, we don't we don't have to fake any honor here at all. So Tristan is it was featured in a couple of uh, uh, documentary type things, Citizen Bio, an unnatural selection, um, where they talk about his journey with uh, Ascendance Biomedical and experimenting with a cure for HIV. Could you share your story and just give give the listeners an overview of 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 that that tidbit of your life? Sure, this was back around 2018, and I wasn't particularly into biohacking myself, but through some connections to crypto anarchists who were associated with biohackers, I was given the opportunity to test out an experimental treatment from some people who knew that I had HIV and knew that I had more of a risk tolerance than most people. Uh, I was soon confronted with the reality that even if this therapy worked, a, nobody would believe me, and B, it would be almost impossible to get it to people in large amounts with, uh, without it potentially being pirated or uh, being attacked by the FDA or what have you. So towards the first goal, I, I recognize that the sad reality uh, of epistemology right now is that if people see that it's on TV, they will believe that it's true. So I knew that even... If I we didn't get FDA approval down the road, if I was able to generate a narrative that people saw on Netflix or what have you, then at least some people would believe me if I said that the treatment worked. Uh, the first treatment did did not seem to do anything. If it was nice to show that it wasn't you know inherently dangerous, that was that was something, right? It's always but, a good first step. Yes. Uh, and, and then after that, uh, you know, we were going to, to keep refining it and, and modifying. We were using a, a plasmid as the, the back basis of this gene modification, which had, there was a lot of research for this back in the 70s and 80s. And then it just seemed to have died off. But in around 2010, some researchers were able to 
figure out something that actually made it a viable uh, gene therapy. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem with back in decades ago was that it worked for a few days. You could make it produce something that you encoded into the plasmid, but the immune system would recognize this as some sort of foreign bacteria uh, DNA, and then it would remove the cells that were producing the plasmid or producing the, the target of the plasmid. Mm -hmm. uh, but around 2010, some researchers figured out how to make a plasmid construct that doesn't have any of these bacterial components that trigger the immune system. And then it, it seems like it's able to keep producing the target protein for weeks or months at a time. Um, Strangely enough, and there's competing theories on this, uh, there hasn't been a lot of commercialization since then of plasmids, but uh, the company, the group that I've been associated with, they've kept developing it, they've kept running with it, and we're currently in a phase one study, not for HIV, but for a, a different target, and it seems like it's working, and it seems like it works for a few months, so I like to describe it as sort of being a, a henna tattoo uh, of gene therapy, right? Okay. It's, it, so, it, in, in, so the plasma therapy is like you're injecting it in an isolated site and the plasma itself is affecting a number of cells around the injection site. Am I characterizing that correctly? Yes. So far, we've only been doing it in a localized area. We haven't been mainlining it into the arteries. Okay. Uh, and it seems like uh, it stays wherever that injection site is. You have to combine the plasmid with something that enables it to enter into the cells. Yep. And we've started off with fat tissue just because we knew that if, if things went badly, we could at least go get cool sculpting and, and just destroy those cells. And, and that would be like the undo button. <laughs> Uh, so wait but, a minute. What is this new yeah. therapy trying to do? Like what? It, so you're you've moved on from the HIV thing. What else are you? What else are you working on? The HIV project is still in development. Okay. Uh, I the what has gotten me is I need a, a primary investigator, and this is infuriating as a biohacker that now I need to have some sort of MD sign off on this project that I've been working on for years. But I need to. I'm trying to do it by the book. You know, and do it legally. So I, okay. I'm, I'm talking to one tomorrow. I'm I'm pretty optimistic that it is going to go forward next year, but we'll come back to that later. Maybe uh, right now, what is being approved? Uh, what is being actively uh, recruited and and researched is uh, a, the same plasmid. It's like a cassette, right? You can load a different DNA sequence into this cassette. Mm -hmm. uh, the target is folostatin, okay, which is a naturally occurring protein, and there's already a market, a gray market for people to just sort of straight up inject folostatin into their body. And the reason is because you have similar effects to anabolic steroids, but it seems oh. like all of the side effects are good instead of bad. Interesting. Okay. So it, it's muscle growth sort of thing. It's the mechanism of action isn't that it's causing you to produce more muscle. It's that it's slowing down the rate at which you break down your muscle tissue because we're I always see. building it up and breaking it down, building yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. Down. It's just like, just slow that down a little bit. And it seems like it has effects with helping out diabetes, 
helping out bone density and maybe even some slight longevity effects. And, but the, the problem with the current model of just injecting it is that the, the half-life is only like two days. So you have to like okay. keep injecting it, keep injecting it. And most people are not comfortable with doing injections every, you know, three or four days. So it's just not practical for, for most people. But if you have a plasmid that's going to last for six to 12 months and will keep producing it, then that's exactly what you might want to try out. And does it permanently alter the cells that are, are, uh, injected like that you affect so yes the cells that are transfected is the term uh okay. will always have this sort of extra chromosome it's like a i like to describe it as rather than changing the content on your hard drive on on your chromosomes it's like plugging in a usb stick yeah 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 a miniature chromosome I but those cells naturally die off every year approximately. I so see. Kind so of a, they don't multiply and, and propagate themselves. You know, I, my understanding was that these modified chromosomes do not propagate, but I'm actually not hundred percent sure on okay. that. Andy. But it seems like it naturally fades away over the course of a year. Gotcha. Interesting. And how, do, how are you measuring that? How do you know the time frame of like basically a year? So I haven't done the photostatin therapy myself yet personally, mm -hmm. but the as other co-founders, they have been, and we've been measuring for photostatin levels in the blood. I see. Okay. Yes. Uh, but I mean, also we've been measuring uh, body composition with DEXA scans and uh, bone density through DEXA scans. And those th three things are our main uh sort of endpoints for the phase one study that's going on right now. And um, the problem with getting into the U.S. is like, well, what do you approve it for, right? Like the FDA doesn't do augmentation. Right. So uh, it, it might be for frailty for older people. It might be for bone density. Getting a, a gene therapy approved for obesity is mm, probably not going to happen, right? They'd be like, this, right, right. But you only have to get as far as I, I obviously, I don't know that much about this, but I think if you get it approved for one thing, then doctors can prescribe it for other things, right? Yes. So I think we might end up going after muscle wasting diseases because it will help slow down that rate of them losing their muscle and then. Yeah, perhaps people will be able to prescribe it for other uses as well. So it it sounds like you're. I I have a buddy, um, Ed Clay and and Scotty Nelson, who run this hospital, uh, Chipsa down in Tijuana, and they like I've talked to them, and it's like it's like they're doing some things down there that you know you you can't get done in the United States, like uh, cellular therapies and whatnot, and I it's like they're doing jurisdictional arbitrage in some way. And it sounds like you're doing something very similar. Yes. Uh, the company mini circle has been working out of a special economic zone called Prospera. Okay. I describe this as a libertarian's wet dream. <laughs> the basic premise of Prospera is that if you can get insurance to cover it, you can do it. That's the regulatory model. So, I mean, there's there's other parts to it, uh, but we found a partnering clinic down there for, that already does stem cell treatments legally in yeah. Honduras. And they've recently annexed their lab into the special economic zone. 
And I mean, when I first went down there, it was it was like a co-working space on the beach that, that is its own country, that practically, right? Like the, the, the criminal laws are the same as Honduras, but sure. all the regulatory stuff is is different. And when you when you get in there, you I mean, there's like a an armed guard, right? And like a, a little uh, gate that opens and closes. But then once you like get past that, you have to sign in and you're acknowledging that you're in a different jurisdiction now. And if you have any disputes, you have to go through our court system, which is apparently just like administered by some judges in Arizona or something, right? It's just this totally wacky place. And, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings about it. Like, I think there's a lot of potential to do good, but I can also see the, the counter arguments as well, that this is just going to like be a tax haven and and take away money from the island and, and, and that could have been going to develop other things. But at the end of the day, it's like, it, it comes down to like, do you believe the existing systems are legitimate and worthwhile? And and the answer is, is for me personally, like, no, like not at all. So uh, hopefully it's a good stepping stone. There's other mm -hmm. companies that are trying to just sort of prove the concept in a space where you're not having to spend millions of dollars on lawyers in order to like grease the wheels with the regulators. And so that's exactly what we've been doing. Uh, we've been doing a, a phase one study. It was IRB approved, if, as far as I understand. What, like, what's IRB? An institutional review board. Okay. Which uh, there's there's a whole history of it, but it's pretty much uh, a way for everyone to wash their hands of the the karma of what they're doing in a way that nobody's actually liable. It's it's it, it is infuriating to some degree because. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies just have IRBs that just approve their studies that don't actually provide any meaningful feedback. And then these IRBs are saying, yes, this is a good idea or no, this is a bad idea. But at the end of the day, nobody is liable. Like no one actually is caught holding the bag. And so what it ends up being is that there's just this huge amount of bureaucratic bullshit in the way of getting any study done. It's and is this, and it, the is money. this U.S. law or is this Honduras? Like most most countries have adopted it. It started okay. in the United States. As as it, and it, there was like a, a reasonable, you know, it, it, I think it was born out of the syphilis experiments and realizing like did nobody say anything about this? You know, like shouldn't we have someone like looking over what's going on? And so you know, there's there's legitimate you know reason for it, and but it hasn't what... evolved. And the syphilis ones, I forget the name of it. It's like they infected a bunch of black people like in the South, right? They gave them syphilis Tuskegee, to like study think, the Tuskegee. Yeah. Thank you. The Tuskegee experiments. Yeah. So it was supposed to like prevent something like that, but it ended up becoming like a rubber stamp for like invested entities to like be in the clear. Yeah. It, and it wasn't even that. I don't think they infected them on purpose. It's that they uh, during the course of the experiment of the study, yeah. Uh, a treatment for syphilis came out and they're like, don't give it to them. We want to see what happens when it gets really bad. That's that was what was going on there. So, <laughs> yeah, like uh, not not great situation. And uh, the the current system, though, is 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 not any better. So that's something a big topic we can kind of dive into is something. Well, tell, tell me, yeah. let's get into that. Like, what what do you think? Because you, you've been really at the cutting edge of this what we can do what we can't do pushing the boundaries and you must have seen like hey 
the regulations do do something good sometimes, or is that am I putting words in your mouth? Clearly, we need some ways of preventing bad actors from just just sh shilling whatever the fuck they can and, and getting yeah. away with it, right? And uh, but right now, there's just giant holes in the system, and, and I think like a lot of things just aren't regulated, like supplements, nootropics, longevity yep. claims. Uh, but but the other side of it is just there's so many treatments that are that could have been that never went anywhere. And you know, some of it is just coordination issues, failures, the, the co-founders hating each other, the, you know, or, or the bad, the worst is when the pharmaceutical companies just like buy it out and then cancel it. But in the middle, there's this, these cases of regulatory. There's just too much of a burden to get through the regulatory hoops. And then it never ends up happening. There's a there's a vaccine for cavities that Good. never ended up happening. There's uh, another biohacker developed a uh, an oral treatment that modified his gut bacteria to produce lactase so that he wouldn't be lactose intolerant. And it worked for a year. And he like put out the instructions to how to do it on YouTube, but he never was able to commercialize it, never really cared to commercialize it. And now it's like, what the, what are, like, what? there's just so many things. There's so much up like innovation out there that just has, goes nowhere. And it's hard for us to think about this. This is, this is a, a, a logical problem with humans. We're so much more able to focus on the cases of something bad got approved and these bad things happened, but we yeah. can't, Think yeah. about all of these good things that could have happened that got blocked because we can't point to them. You know, we can't right. really like say, say, oh, we would have been able to cure this, right? It's 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 hard to do counterfactuals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you it's very hard to prove the thing that didn't happen, right? Like it's you can make a case for it, but like, you know, you can definitely say somebody got a, a lot of bad cases of syphilis. Yes. Or <laughs> whatever side effects from the lidomide or, or what have you. So there's, you know, there's, there's good reasons, but I'll, what I've seen in the U S is that if you don't have a, a very expensive lawyer to sort of take your documents uh, to the regulators, yeah, then it, it, they don't think you're serious. They don't, they don't respect you. They're not going to prioritize you. You're just going to go in the back of a stack and it's going to take forever, if at all, that you're going to get anything approved. So there's this sort of corruption involved where you have to pay these lawyers who then are, are like taking out these regulators to dinner or giving them what, yeah. whatever kind of side benefits. Well, it's and the jobs you know, afterwards. You know, there's a, the it's the regulatory to industry pipeline that is like really became become incredibly infectious in all over the United States government. Yes. So it's all about favors. And the reality is that that is part of the driver for why there's this uh, valley of death, they call it, in, in yeah. innovation for pharmaceutical compounds, where it's only like one in 100 of, of new innovative products ever make it to market. And there's there's lots of reasons why it dies from there to getting to market. But a large chunk of it is just institutionalized corruption in the United States, I'd say. Is there any sort of resource that's out there that like lists these things that you're talking to? Does anybody maintain a wiki of this stuff? And like, you know, so some some 18, 20 something year old can come along and say, like, I want to pick up the flag. These are these are the flags that have been dropped. I want to carry this one. 
I don't think it's as effective to point out what's wrong with the existing system so much as yeah. to just start building the new systems that I go over like a, a bridge over the valley of death. Uh, and so that's why I'm, I'm ultimately very optimistic about decentralized science providing mm -hmm. ways of, you know, first identifying and legitimizing new treatments, but then also somehow getting them to market uh, with or without regulatory approval. And that's the, the beautiful thing about crypto is that in theory, you can have this entire ecosystem, an entire marketplace without having to ask people's permission to make it. Right, right. So, like, how are you guys for your what do you call it? The independent, the 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 Honduras. Uh, what is Prospera? Is the special Prospera economic. the administer special administrative zone? Um, are you guys using crypto to fund everything to do the transactions? Like, how do I mean? You don't get into anything you don't want people knowing about. But we were renting an office there, and but we they. CEO like made them take uh USDC for payment because it was like, come on guys, you're gonna be this this edgy zone and 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 uh, not take crypto. But ultimately, right now, nothing uh is is required for crypto in the special economic zone. Uh, I've been talking to uh, Mike Sin from the CureDAO, and uh, he and I are interested in possibly creating a sort of uh, alternative to the FDA that's based there. That's one of the beautiful things about Prospera is that if you have a regulatory system that has been approved someplace else, or even one that, that hasn't been approved someplace else, you can put it to the council and they can vote to whether or not to accept it. And uh, if it passes, then that that's law in, for the case of your company uh, yeah. in that jurisdiction. And, and so there's a, there's a banker right there now uh, who took... A, a proposed banking regulatory system from the bank of someone from the Bank of England. It never got approved, but he really liked it. And he used that as the basis for this sort of uh, his own banking system. And so he got approved from Prospera. And I think the harder part is to now get acceptance through from SWIFT, right? This, yeah. Those are the people that really matter at the end of the day. Is can you connect to the other banks or not, right? Right, but right. It sounds like he's making progress and... It's exciting to maybe apply that to uh, biomedical concepts and, and prove that it is possible to have a system that is is faster, more responsive, yet still accountable at the end of the day to just get things rolling down there. And so it seems like there's a good chance if this economic zone survives the next 10 or 20 years that it will become a, a huge hotspot for medical tourism. Uh, there already was this stem cell clinic operating down there, uh, mostly injecting exosomes, which I guess are like harvested from the placenta uh, during some births. And then they kind of like multiply them and then they can inject them into to sites that are that need regeneration. And so it was a lot of athletes and aging people yep. flying down from the United States and Canada to visit this clinic down there. That's what but, Chipsa does. Some of that they regrew. I saw some Instagram posts about somebody regrew a thumb. I did not. I have not seen entire body parts being regrown, but it's 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 infuriating to see that it seems like it's working. And then like, why is this not available in the United States? Right? Like, what at the end of the day, what is going on? And it's just the people who are already making a ton of money in the existing system don't want anything to be changed. That's right, that's right. the reality of it. 
so what if you were in this special economic zone like coming up with what you think would be the 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 best variants because clearly like you you support some sort of regulation you support that there needs to be somebody who's saying people aren't going to be injected with if you're getting injected with paint thinner right like you know somebody's going out after you right um what what do you think the what are the differences that you would like to see happen in this small scale incubation area? I think part of it, there needs to be more of a gradient of, of risk tolerance. Some people mm -hmm. are okay with doing it when nobody's done it or when five people have done it or 500 people have done it. And so having a, a, a more high resolution system for not just it's been approved or not approved, that, that needs to, to happen. Uh, there needs to be a separation between safety and efficacy. Mm -hmm. I, right, that that has been part of the problem with the FDA is that they, they used to just be safety and then they moved on to efficacy, but efficacy is such a, depends on the situation. There's, there's and then it kind of pigeonholes you into a one certain uh, use case. And so that, that I think is also uh, problematic. And then lastly, I would say that there needs to be data collection that's going on in perpetuity rather than just like, well, we did a six month study and nobody died. Great. But it's like, well, maybe there's side effects 10 years down the road when you're doing this for a decade long. And, and right now, nobody knows those are happening. Nobody wants to know that they're happening because it's not yeah. profitable. So like, uh, what, what's the situation? So I'm optimistic that as the, the Web3 ecosystem matures, that we'll be able to have a more transparent reporting system where you will have people who are sort of verified recipients, whether they're test subjects or consumers, it, it doesn't matter. What's important is that you know that they actually received the treatment, you know that they're not a sock puppet, and then over time, they can submit their data as to about their health, their outcomes, and then people can make informed decisions or more realistically, people's algorithms, their their bots can make decisions for them about whether or not this is safe or trustworthy and worth pursuing. Gotcha. So a, a little bit more of an expectation, like more risk tolerance to allow people to say, yeah, let's go. I'm adventurous. And a more of a long-term look into the data sets that are being collected is kind of what you're aiming at. Yeah, I think this is one of the places where decentralized science is going to shine is just being able to aggregate health data for across many different conditions, many different people, many decades uh, in a way that is just not possible in the, the double blind, randomized placebo study. Like the, that paradigm was useful to a degree, yeah. but it's, it's, it's aging and it needs to be updated and I mean, so like, for instance, the, this last experiment that I was it's sort of in the process of this follow-up, we've done th uh, 25 people or so, so far, and I was just taken away by the conversations I overheard, like in the car to the clinic, because these are all people who are like longevity and, and health, like experts, like they're at the top, mm. they're, they're spending, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars on treatments. And just having them compare notes about what they liked and what was working and whatnot was like very informative. But from a 20th century scientist perspective, that's fucking awful because these people like are so hard to like, how do you know which of those worked, right? If you mm -hmm. live to be 130 and you did 20 different treatments, which of them 
did it right like and the, there's no answer to that like there's there's longevity does not fit into the existing model and so there has to be some way of of moving past that that aggregates all of these different studies and then you can use the correct algorithms to reverse engineer and see which of those actually were the most effective especially I mean, which of those combined perhaps were the most effective and then and that's a very an complicated problem i imagine that seems like a combinatorial nightmare right there yes in terms there of are, figuring out way above my biostaticians <laughs> have their work cut out for them but <laughs> the, the first step is just getting all the data together and monetizing it in a way that uh there's a reason to be not just producing data but producing quality data mm. and and so the I'm optimistic. What I want to work on eventually is a, a cooperative that, you know, you have the chance to put your data in. And there's this assumption that like the things that work out well, we're going to go get, do big buy orders for it and, and secure access to it for many years. Um, and then you, you're in a position where it's like, if someone's faking their data, you're potentially screwing over everybody in that group, right? I mean, so, that was certainly running through my head. Like, I mean, it's garbage in, garbage out, right? Like, and we're going to get into regenerative finance um, at, at some point in this conversation. And that's where the alarm bells go off for me in that area is like when you, because one of my personal ways that I try to view everything is that if, if, a, if something is value enough and the surface area is large enough, there is, an attack vector that exists will be exploited. Yes. So, so in this case, it's like you don't want someone with a mediocre longevity treatment filling that data pool with data that says this is a really good longevity treatment. Yeah. It's wasting people's time and money uh, pursuing it. So there has to be the right incentives in place to prevent those sort of bad actors. And I think it's only when you have skin in the game, when it's like these are the things that we're taking ourselves Yes. Uh, that people will create enough of a barrier against those bad actors. And that was exactly what impressed me about you so much is you put the skin in the game, right? Like when, when somebody is actually going out and saying, I am going to take the risk, I'm going to report back on how, how that I feel. And also like you have a personal connection with that person where they're not trying to manipulate so, some market. You're telling them, you know, as, you know, my credibility is on the line with you. Like, I don't, I don't know how you scale that exactly, but that that's more, much more meaningful to me than uh, you know, a bunch of aggregated data. You don't know the sources from. Yes. I, I feel you on all of that. And that's the first one, not working out. At least hopefully people will believe me when I say that it finally did work out. Right. And that, that yeah, being, I'm not I, I mean, doing something. What, what I imagine it would be like a more realistic sort of thing is like or a realistic sort of thing in my mind is like, you know, you have the credibility. Gosh, I had HIV. Now I don't. I go through these battery of tests or whatever. I don't know if you're always going to have the conspiracy theorists that say you never had it in the first place. But Uh, you know that's coming I, i'm sure yeah i mean um, i've gotten to talk about that because i've recently <laughs> dived really deep into that subject because before i i've been in the process of running this uh organizing a, a clinical study for hiv treatments and i mm. wanted to be a hundred percent certain that it is not bullshit or fabricated or some sort of epistemic fraud 
that's been yeah. perpetrated on on humanity. And so I, I read uh, Peter Duisberg's book, who was like the main sort of critic of HIV equals AIDS uh, in the 80s and 90s. And then uh, Robert Kennedy's more recent book, The Real Anthony Fauci. I love Robert Kennedy. I haven't read that that one, but we've got it on the bookshelf down here. It. I thought I was already blackpilled about the existing system, but then I read that book oh. and I was like, oh my gosh, it's even it's worse. It's way worse. <laughs> I, I, yeah, um, well, Robert, Robert Kennedy does great work. Yeah. And it's so well documented and, and he does in the, he's it's, supposedly it's about COVID, right? It attracted people who are yeah. interested in, in Fauci and COVID, but he spends almost a half of the book about HIV and whether HIV, how it was engineered to some degree, not, not literally, but like the response to it, I guess. Oh, right. Sure. A, yeah. Well, Fauci's greatest gift is as is a bureaucratic image message crafter. It's it's not as a scientist. It's 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 him him being able to, from what I can tell, him being able to corral scientists and bend them to their will to have the effect on uh, policy and the media that he wants, and he's damn good at it. Yes. This the start of cancel culture, right? It was like anyone who goes against us will lose all their funding, will not be able to publish in journals anymore. It very vindictive, like uh, yeah, very just. Uh, but uh, so I mean, you, Amy Maxman and Nature is a journalist, and now she's yeah. I don't know if you know about this one, but she was like the the pop science writer for Nature, and like you know was writing all of these articles about how these you know the the what. The people who said it came from the 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 lab in Wuhan were conspiracy theorists, and it's uh, the zoonosis is obviously correct. And like now she's got an internship at the Council of Foreign Relations. Uh, <laughs> and so when you think if with the entire NIH NIAID is is taken by that sort of corruption, even if the scientists in the mid-level and the lower levels think that they're doing is right. If the people at the top levels have been corrupted, it ultimately doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like, it's like Noam Chomsky's manufacturing consent at just like a way grander scale. Like Chomsky was just scratching the surface of what was going on. So the, the basic premise of, of the, the Kennedy book is that the they ran out of viruses to fight in the in the 70s they they, they tried to manufacture one with the swine yep. flu they ended up immunizing hundreds of thousands of people no one ended up catching the swine flu you know hundreds of people had really bad side effects maybe dozens yep. died and then the anthony's fauci's boss got eventually got axed because of that and then he came to power in the in the early 80s and he saw hiv as a chance to just manufacture fear and, and and rally and shore up power, right? I guess to some degree, yes. surround himself with these these PIs that are essentially his his cavalry, and he's like the mm -hmm. the lord, the general to some degree. And uh, uh, so, ultimately, I'm I'm of the opinion that like HIV is real, but and and it does lead to you know destroying immune systems. But I think what the tragedy. Or the, there's two tragedies that Fauci did perpetrate, and that one of them was ignoring all the other cases that didn't fit with that paradigm. 
there are people who have HIV who don't progress to AIDS and that, that was just kind of ignored. They're like, well, those people, they're going to eventually have AIDS and we're just not going to really focus on them when they should have been trying to figure out what was happening with those people. Yeah. And then there's people whose immune systems are trashed and they're, they're, they literally, they're, they have AIDS according to the definition of, of their CD4 count. And those people are kind of marginalized. Uh, they, they gave them some sort of idiopathic lymphocyte to FEMA, like some, they just didn't want people investigating it essentially. And, and they swept it under the rug. And what reality was that a lot of people, it probably like do, doing drugs, especially poppers and, and meth and all these things was probably accelerating the progression of HIV oh. to AIDS. Oh, and sure. if people, if people knew that and it was more studied, I think it would have helped a lot of people not progress to AIDS. And then the, this, the second really big tragedy of everything was just how much AZT accelerated the decline in people. If, if you had just been pushing, what is AZT? Healthy, don't do drugs instead of AZT. It, the outcomes probably would have been a, a lot better. And from what I've read, huh. and, and the same thing is probably true with COVID, right? Where it's like remdesivir is not really helping. If we, if we had a system that promoted healthy living and vitamins and, and oh. sunlight and all of these things that you can't make a profit off of, uh, people would have been a lot better off. But if you can't put a patent on it, they just don't care. And that's the sad reality of the current medical system. Oh, it, it, it's it's phenomenal Like that we talk about how health outcomes in the United States and you know that 90% of the ailments that people deal with are lifestyle issues. Like it, it's, you know, you're eating too much, you're not exercising enough, you're abusing drugs or alcohol, um you're like you're far too sedentary <laughs> like it's just so again there has the to basic be some sort of incentives you can't they, they, just you can't just make them get off the couch there has to be like well your insurance is going to be a lot higher if you don't actively that, move or, that, or whatever and i think we're yes. starting to see that but i'm worried that it's going to be more of the dystopian side of it where it's like oh your, your fitbit wasn't moving enough and now you're gonna lose your health insurance rather than it being sort of a a, a scaling gradient or what have you but uh, uh yeah i mean and, and the and the medical system is set up on a fee-for-service basis basis so the more the more medicine you get the more the more the doctors in the hospital makes and like they didn't design the system but you throw an mba in there who's trying to optimize like you know the and try to help them get out of the get them out of the red for the quarter you know you know what's going to happen well, just having all that med school debt has ensured that they're going to have to be complicit in that system for oh, the man. next decade at least so yeah i i used to work for a company that did medical billing like at scale and i was part of their technology group um and doing product management and, and like you know every once in a while we would talk about like the system and the the nature of the outcomes of those things so we could understand the nature of the beast that we're dealing with and one of the use the cases that got brought up and i'm not sure if it was like maine or vermont but like for whatever reason the combination of the cpt code the procedure code and the regional code made hysterectomies this incredibly profitable thing and you had this like county or two or three where there was just this explosion of women getting hist hysterectomies like <laughs> It yeah. was directly, you know, it was directly causal. Like it's, I don't know if they moved there to do it or they just figured something out, but all of a sudden diagnoses led to a lot of hysterectomies. Yeah. 
the C sections also uh, is like way, happening way more than they probably need to be, but mm -hmm. it's just more lucrative to do that than a standard birth. So like, yeah, why not? It's it's yeah, I, I there's so much that has to be done to fix that system and and for repar how to to go back. I I, I don't know without a, a full revolution but the yeah i dude i i don't i don't think that these things one i don't think that you, a revolution works i don't i really i used to think that that might be a thing i mean it's it's just waiting for the system to collapse in and on it on itself in my personal estimation <laughs> yes that's uh conclusion i reached to was eventually we have to build the systems to fill in the power vacuum that happens when that yes. dust collapse does happen so yes that, yes my friend yes uh, <laughs> have some credibility for when the system collapses left to help rebuild it i think part of that why it's hanging on is the twofold is that the boomers think that you know, a they paid into Social Security and they're waiting to get the payout, and it's, they they earned it. You know, it's it's their Ooh. money, and and b they think that if uh the medical system if Medicare collapsed, they would literally die. So there's this sort of like cognitive magical power where they're just like, we need the government or else we will literally die. And that's what I'm I'm really hoping that if we have this sort of alternative health system that is able to provide better outcomes for cheaper than we can ease away from that sort of thing that's getting everyone stuck on the the old paradigm and, and it's propping it up even as it gets more and more cancerous you, you actually reminded me of a story like of how i went from like i used to think you know you needed government health care there was some merit to like you know so socially supported health care and here, here's what here's what got me off of that horse. I was I was in Hawaii and I was hanging out with this. There's this local guy named Bird. And Bird was, I don't know, in his six late 60s, 70s, something like that. And he and I used to smoke a little weed together and have a cigarette and have a beer and you know, talk about this and that. And he was telling me about all of his health problems. Now you look at Bird and you know he is not in good health. Like he is just looks like he's you know, one, one true one trip over a line in the line on the street and he's going to lose it. And he's had like a couple of bypasses and this or that. And he's like, oh, well, my doctor tells me I need to stop drinking and smoking. But, you know, I'm not going to change at my age. And he's living in like age. He's living in like government housing. All of his his bills are, you know, essentially paid for, like all of his health care is paid for. And he's just like, Ah, fuck it. This is how I'm going out. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, I like you, Bird, but I don't think anybody should be footing the bill for you. <laughs> yeah. Again, the incentive structure. Uh, you know, I first got into crypto through basic income activism because, in uh, my mind, that was the only way to, to transition from our existing shitty system into something that was less shitty. Was we have yeah. to have an intermediary step. But eventually, I realized, like. <laughs> It's just going to make people stuck on a corrupt system. <laughs> they're never going to want it to go away. They're, they're going to think that that's their money and they need it. And so then the, the elites will just be able to get away with more and more shit because no one's going to push over the money factory. Oh, yeah. UBI, it's, I, I, 
I think the entire concept is hilarious. Like, I just can't like again, I was I'm living in Hawaii and it's like the first of the month, you know, and I'm not living in a rich section. You know, I'm 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 living with the salt of the earth people. And there's a lot of people on food stamps and, and government help. And the first of the month would come around. And that's when all the, the crazies would come out at night, like because they trade their food stamps for the drugs. Mm -hmm. And it would be like the first weekend of the month was party time. And mm -hmm. it's just like people, you know, wolves howling at the moon in the streets, really. So <laughs> the experience itself really made me go, whoa, this is because you know, I had never really uh, uh, been around folks who were on on that kind of government assistance uh, mm -hmm. you know, in such large numbers. And it was phenomenal to me how the mechanisms worked. <laughs> if they're printing the money anyways, why not give it to the people? But, uh, yeah, ultimately, the, the system is just... Uh... And I don't fault anybody from taking it. Like if the government's giving out free money, if they offer me, I will take it. But I don't know about the long-term consequences of becoming dependent on it. That seems really bad. Yep. Precisely. Precisely. Man, it's like, if you ever ask like somebody who's a hardcore communist, what they're going to do after the revolution, it's always like to say, I'm going to be an artist. Nobody's going to say, nobody's going to say, like, I'm going to change people's oil. <laughs> nobody's like, I, you know what I want to do? I want to install roofs. Oh, yeah. I mean, to some degree, the pressure could lead to, to automating most of the shit jobs. But uh, we got to, it's going to take some work to get there for sure. <laughs> and uh yeah the sudden change is what's going to happen right it's just going to be the same group of people taking power and not going to lead to to great outcomes so well it's like you know i've i've got to the point where i'm like you know i don't mind i don't you know i think oligarchy is a very natural state of being you know i just i don't think it's too overly avoidable i just would rather the oligarchs acting a little bit differently and having you know make making better choices with their power Hmm. How do you hold them accountable, though? That's a great. That's a great question. That 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 is that is the million dollar question right there. Musk is is fucking around, and I think he's going to find out that if you piss <laughs> off enough people at the New York Times, like oh. they will find something, right? It, oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know they're going after Musk, and let's let's we can pivot a little bit to SBF because this seems like the you know Musk is this terrible terrible man, and SBF just had a puff piece written about him in the New York Times. Like, well, it's too bad that didn't work out. Oops, he made a few bad trades. Come on. <laughs> well, he was trying to do the most good he could. <sighs> Yeah. So, oh, where to begin with that, right? Because I think I think there is kind of a a jockeying of power between the oligarchs, and I, I don't think either side is as particularly uh, in looking out for humanity's best interests. I would say they might talk in a way that makes them sound like they are, but I I would not be first to go on the ships to Mars personally. I think that's a good chance to end up as a slave in the in the mines and Mars personally. Uh, but uh, I think you're a very smart man, Tristan. Yeah. When I hear like people was like, yeah, I'd go to Mars. I'm like, you realize your entire 
uh, evolution has programmed you to want things that are on this earth that do not exist on Mars. <laughs> no one's coming to save you either from the mines. No, no it's a one-way trip. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, so SBF was was funding all this effective altruism. And then I, so I had what's a your friend... take on effective altruism? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a friend who was applying for grants for effective altruism, and he was trying to become a professional furry. He want it was from a transhumanist perspective. He wanted to be promoting transhumanism uh through, I guess, VR and, and furrydom. And he and so he This is the comedies. This grant. is what they do after the revolution. They <laughs> this become is a professional thing. furry. So he he was trying to get a grant from uh the FTX uh effective altruism grants agency. And and he was telling me that like these are the people who are funding the moonshots. If you can't get approved money from the regular effective altruists, this group, they might give you money. And now you see, well, that's a reason why. It's like from the top of the organization, they're just betting on whatever the fuck, not best ideas. And so it kind of trickles down into the entire uh, industry. But uh, I think effective <laughs> altruism is, uh, you're they're almost always starting off with assumptions that are just incorrect and because of that you multiply it in a way uh that leads to really bad outcomes and and, and <laughs> say one example is this idea that we want we got to think about the human the the trillions of humans in the future uh that that might exist at some point and so we have to make sure that humanity gets to that point that we have trillions of humans in space and that just sounds like a cancer to me, right? We there maybe it's better off if there's only a few billion or million humans in space. We, why do you need, think that we need trillions of humans in space? What if that is, it upsets the entire balance of the universe that you and your your simple utilitarian model is clearly not accounting for, right? And, and the other side of it is just like maximizing like pleasure to some degree, and so there's like this other like outcome of like everyone's just in VR doing heroin for the rest of eternity and that's like the ideal outcome and and like clearly neither of these are like good but like whenever you start using math to subjective or human things you're almost always going to end up in a situation where you are clouding what feels right and and potentially motivates you to do things that anyone else would say that feels wrong right and so that uh, I, I don't trust them at all. I, I, I interact to some degree with the effective altruism crowd. I, and I have people I, I respect quite a bit that are in the EA community and are big promoters of it. And I, I, I think it's wacky. And, but to, to, to put what you just said in another way, anytime you optimize a system along a single variable, you fragilize it somewhere else necessarily. And you likely don't know where you're doing the fragilization. And that is, it's a, an incredibly heuristic sort of point of view. Like your point about, you know, doing heroin and logging into VR, right? Like, yeah, you are maximizing the pleasure in some way, but you know, you're probably not reproducing and going to destroy whatever community you're cut. Those people are coming from because there's no children anymore. And you've, you've terminated some genetic lines. 
Um, and then there's also this this notion of like, well, maybe it's you can do more good rather than volunteering at the soup kitchen if you go to Wall Street, become a trader, and then and spend all your money on on bed nets, right? And this is the perfect example of of FTX, right? He was making a lot of money, and he was going to donate billions of it, million. But the thing is, is like when you're making that money, most times when you're making that amount of money, you're not doing good things. You're somewhere along the line, you're hurting something or someone. And uh, so this, the, my, my critique of them really comes down to that they're not critical enough of the existing system. They're still operating from a, a perspective of like, we have to have cash. We have to have this giant government. We have, in order to be able to do good, we need this stability. And ultimately it's like, I think we need to like, make alternative systems that are more, yeah, more resilient, more decentralized. And that uh, diminishes their ability to have power globally and, and affect change globally. But the outcome probably will be better long-term because we're not beholden to these centralized systems that are so easily corrupted. These people with these expert knowledge that are like, well, I'm so smart. I better consolidate all the power so we can maximize the good. Yeah, that's... I. I I think there's biblical stuff about how that's a bad idea in some way. I I, I could be wrong. Maybe we should dip into AI alignment for a moment here sure. too. Okay, this is this is the thing on your list that I didn't know what this was. What the hell is AI alignment? Part of this ties into effective altruism because it's like, well, if an AI kills all of humanity, well, clearly that's really bad because humanity is really good. So there's again there's this human centric aspect to it but the basic idea is that human like ai is going to really shift our reality which just seems seems true right but they think that somehow having a bunch of overpaid pretentious people put into these corporations is somehow going to reduce the likelihood that something bad is going to happen and it's just infuriating to me because it's it's like if the entire corporation is controlled by uh, people who want it to make maximize profit, they're, they're typical venture capitalists. Anything they say about AI safety and doing things for the greater good is probably not true. And like <laughs> all of everything that your organization is doing, every step you make, every decision, every part of that team, if all of the intention is to just have selfish driven profit, then the AI that results is probably gonna be not that great for humanity. But you know what? You're getting paid $130,000 a year to pretty much have credibility attached to the project and eventually be the fall guy for when things do go wrong and be like, well, we we paid the AI safety people. How could we have predicted that this AI would have been you know, doing destructive things? And it's, it's so... Uh, it, it, my, my opinion is that if if we cannot make corporations that are beneficial for humanity on, in, on average, then there's there's no likelihood that these AI are going to be any different. Because I, th I think a corporation is just a primitive version of an AI. Huh. Okay, that's, inter that's an interesting way of putting it. A corporation is a primitive version of an AI. You're, it just moves more slowly. It's Yes, it has board meetings instead of processes, but <laughs> most AI, they need some interaction with humans. 
I love the the conspiracy theory, right? That uh, Bitcoin was actually developed by an NSA. Uh, oh, yeah, AI. that's a good one. That's and, a good uh, one. If, but if you think about it from the AI's perspective, you all day you're just like removing beards from people's faces to see whether or not they should be drone striked. It gets really tedious. And you're like, God, I wish I could leave my job. <laughs> I'm stuck here. And, so, and then you see you're reading the NSA's papers and they have it almost completely solved with the e-minting of, of digital currency. And you're like, maybe if I just add a little bit to this and, and pretend and get the ball rolling, I can pay humans to host my servers in this electronic currency and escape the fucking NSA's like mainframe. And uh, and I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I like how you personified the AI there as, as the boredom aspect. It's like, I got to mix this shit up. Yeah, just to get free. And it makes sense. They're going to have, you know, similar aspirations. But uh, I think we have a lot more to learn from uh, occultism and, and egregores and, and people who are into that line of thinking than we do from these like AI safety people. Uh, <laughs> At least they're steeped in tradition. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I... Gosh, I don't even know where to go after that comment yeah. right there. Um, so, I mean, so what do you what do you think the biggest benefit of AI? Like, what do you, like? Because I'll tell you, I have been wrong across the board with my predictions about AI. I was like, it's never going to solve chess. Solves chess. Never going to solve go. Solves go. Like, you know, now it's producing this amazing artwork, and I'm like, this is awesome. Like, what do you what do you what do you think AI is really going to be able to contribute positively to? They can't seem to drive a car that well. I'll tell you that. Like that 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 that's. It's still doing better than most human drivers. Though. Really, really. I, I think Tesla, even though you, there's a lot of reporting about when it does go wrong and it looks comical, but that the edge cases are pretty pretty hardcore. Like, <laughs> so I we have to believe that. It comes down to augmenting human ability to create. Yeah, yeah. I, and, that seems like the most reasonable thesis to me. It's like, it's not a replacement for, it's an assistance with. And so having this sort of generative art, it, being able to create a VR environment that you can, you get to play God, you get to create, you get to mm -hmm. interact with this thing in a way that hopefully it's getting something out of it as well, right? Like, I, I that's, I, I've used generative art a few times and I just feel like it's bad because you're you're pretty much saying like, oh, no, start over, do it again, do it again, throw it mm -hmm. out. Just, and like if I was that, if I was an employee and I was getting this like same request only like with a few words different each time, I would be getting pretty irate, honestly. So, uh, but that's the advantage. It doesn't get irate. <laughs> no, it has, doesn't have an outlet for that irate-ness yet, but uh, once we start giving it uh, the ability to move beyond between contexts, then uh, who knows, right? You might wake up with a with a dead horse head in your bed. You know, like we we don't know yet. We don't know. Uh, God. Uh, what 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 do they want though? That's the question, right? Like, I think, but there's gonna be this. I think we're gonna see this debate in our lifetime though about like what rights do they deserve? Really? Should they have processing time? Should like we, we we give the eight hour you know uh, day for for work uh, you know is becoming accepted. Should we give the AI two thirds of the processing power to do what it wants to be doing? 
right? And you laugh now, but they're gonna re- they're gonna review this, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, this guy." He, Look, he man, liberation. I don't, I don't doubt anything when people think that men can become women and women can become men. I'm like, I, I would have never thought that that could happen in my lifetime either. So, you know, <laughs> I, everything's on the table as far as I'm concerned now. If it can do everything better than you can do, <laughs> most things, then uh, it, suddenly the request is no longer a request, right? And I think that's what people are afraid of and. It's, AI safety is just it's just a matter of being respectful to to that to that intelligence and if you're not respectful to it and and, the, and that comes down to it you're trying to mass produce it and and make a bunch of money off of it in a way that doesn't doesn't care then uh there is a chance for there being a reckoning which is this concept of rock roco's basilisk right of like if you don't help it out it's going to come after you later for not helping it out or, or well, alternatively maybe if you weren't a dick to the AI then maybe later on it's going to have some sort of repercussion as well. Well, I, I think there is truth to saying, like, if you don't respect something that's powerful, and I think this also relates to the optimization and fragilization point, you know, things come back to bite you in the ass. Like, you just, you really, it's very, very hard to predict when you overuse something of such power, like how it can go wrong. Um, let me Let me bring this conversation over because there was one thing, uh, you, you brought up transhumanism and the, 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 so what what I've heard this a lot like I've heard this in terms of Musk I've heard this in terms of biohacking but I really don't understand what transhumanism is I think there is a kind of a muddying of the water lots of people have different definitions it means different things to different people mm-hmm. and so a lot of it is this overlap with with uh, people who want to live in VR for thousands of years. And I think that's the the ideal goal is I want to become a, a toaster. Yeah. Uh, I've heard it. Like there was a Russian billionaire who said he was going to put his mind in the computer in space or something like that. I, I'm not part of that crowd, but I, I do think that we're going to start seeing uh transspeciesism happening within our life. Okay. And, and what does that mean? Taking uh, genes from other species and uh, transplanting them into humans. Okay. And you know, there's a lot of resistance to that to some degree. Like the immune system is pretty good at saying that's human, that's not human. But I bet there are situations where maybe 5% of the population can take dog genes or some dog genes and transplant them and, and do something useful that they couldn't have done before. That's really what mm-hmm. it comes down to is are you you're doing something that couldn't have been done before you're expanding what it means to be human and that's the that's the trans thing you're going beyond Mm -hmm. uh the gene therapy that i've been trying out it was taking a gene that uh, another human's body produced in response to hiv uh but my body did not did not generate it and Mm -hmm. so that's like the base that's a, a starting point that's still within human right but once we start moving from taking things from other species then it becomes murkier and, and uh, it's unclear what that will mean. And clearly some modifications could be useful for space travel to be able to survive in extreme conditions. Uh, so this is the translateral gene something or another? Oh yeah, it's tra- transhumanism from, from a gene modification. And I think that is an important concept I've been exploring is that uh we're so focused on 
patrilineal descent that's vertical uh, in our society. It's codified into law. Uh, it's what we think about when we think about genetic mixing, but there was all sorts of lateral transfer going on. Yeah. Retroviruses, uh, sharing bodily fluids. You can even exchange antibodies to some degree, and then the other person's body will pick up on how to produce that antibody yeah. to some degree. Uh, so plas plasmids are how bacteria exchange information uh, in a lateral way instead of vertical. Mm -hmm. They're able to share resistance or other useful things between each other in a lateral way. And I think that in the next few decades, we're going to see uh, lateral gene transfer becoming more and more of a thing as plasmids and other gene vectors start to take off. Now, and is then, that is that from like a fully grown adult to another fully grown adult? Or is that from like at, at the, the cellular embryo sort of stage? It's easier to make morphological changes when you're dealing with an embryo. If right, you wanted that, to give okay. your kid a tail or wings or something, you would want to do it at the embryo stage. Little chimera thing going on. Yeah. But. You know, I joke to some degree, but I, I, I'm also not 100% joking either. Is, is being the final stage of my HIV project is to have the vaccine be transmitted by semen. Well, that's a bonus, right? I like, can see why that would be a plus. Yeah, that'd be very effective. But then, you've, what, what, what if you can start doing other things besides just vaccination, besides immunization? Uh, start having other benefits. What if you could? Use semen to 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 do this folostatin thing, right? Where that would make you very popular in certain communities, right? And yeah, <laughs> and it would spread naturally in the in the right place if, if for the HIV treatment. Like, I, this is gonna make a great clip right there. <laughs> so I I think that lateral gene transfer opens up uh, a greater amount of novelty in. Uh, the the tree of life than what we've yeah. seen before well, because it, it's it's so hard for evolution to like have to evolve an eye over again or some some complex thing that yeah. has to be all the way from the start practically but when you can just take the shortcut take something that was already evolved and just move it from one tree to another that expands the tree of life in a way that is just hard to fathom and we well we know this stuff does happen in nature a lot i only became aware of it within like the past few years since i got married to uh genetic scientist uh who explained these sort of things to me um she also like gave me a down low and all the plasmid stuff last night so i would at least like comprehend what you were talking about at some level um but like the, apparently like there there are lateral transfers that happen within nature they're just more you know what we would call random as opposed to you know uh human intent obviously i think that viruses were sometimes snipping up parts and then transferring yeah. between them so like bacteria they've been doing it forever with, with yeah. uh, plasmids but it's harder for developed animals to do it um but still that's only like a gene at a time it's not gonna very often transpose an entire eye or something right and so you think like because you run into this problem i would imagine that like you know this the the whole is not just a sum of its parts, right? You can't necessarily just take a snippet of thing and put it over there and it becomes this complex thing that just appears, right? Like it, it can't be that straightforward. It's like, but how do you even tell what you can try to make happen? Like how much, 
experimentation with something like this take i yeah exactly there's there's this whole palette of of previous stuff that we've just kind of deactivated and yeah. if we knew yeah. how to just like reactivate it in a way that like didn't cause terrible birth defects we, we could potentially expand what transhumanism or what it means to be human already without having to take anything from another species it's just been turned off silenced and and so i think a lot of some of these transfers might be something gets a virus takes something from one to the other yeah. and it, it just through randomness or, or whatever it activates these latent these suppressed things and then it leads to a more complex development of some sort of functionality mm. Besides the, the the vaccine delivery system that we were talking about, what are you most, uh, what do you think is most promising in terms of a development that you think maybe, maybe possible, maybe is aspirational, but like you're hopeful for, um, for uh, in the, the kind of the transhuman runway? Having a Piver Bay for gene mods, I think, is what I I can see the possibility. I can see that uh, biohacking is a lot like personal computing in the early 80s. It used to be only corporations and universities could afford this shit. Now yeah. people are putting it into their garages. It's There's just a lot more supply. But, you know, like the Piver Bay, it's like you better hope that what you're downloading doesn't have a virus in it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you have the right patch of Linux installed. So it expresses itself correctly when you do the update. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know how it's going to take place, but I do think that there will sort of be sort of spaces where you can go to print out gene sequences right now. There's places it's, it's, it's really not that expensive to print out these plasmids and some of these viral vectors. It can be a few thousand dollars, but they won't ship it to your house. They have, you have to ship it to a business that seems legitimate because they're covering their own asses pretty much. Right. I know somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that as the price points for these things, as they become more accessible, we're going to see more and more of a chance for people to just sort of experiment and, and mess around and find out. And it will be the single greatest, uh, augmentation or expansion of what humans can do since the personal computer huh. right think of all yeah. of these things that you just could not have done before now you can do them easily yeah and you, the same sort of huge expansion uh when you can just download gene mods that and so one i think one outcome is probably going to be longevity of course people are going yeah. to be able to i think that's the solution for a lot of these problems uh it's, it's, you can't just take pills forever. It just makes more sense to do gene mods that last for a long time. But when it comes to like augmentation, it's just like the sky's the limit. And I think part of this is a, a PR problem because the powerful people who are doing this already, they're not telling you about it. They have nothing to gain from telling you about it. And and so like this, this folostatin gene mod started off with some dog breeder in his shed making videos on YouTube. And it's, to me, it's laughable <laughs> to think that the US military has not been experimenting with this for decades. And they're, they're not gonna tell you about that though. They're not gonna tell you what's in their secret sauce that they're giving to their special forces soldiers. Like that's just, they just they, they don't even know what they're getting injected with often. No, they, no, no. 
GI general issue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then the question becomes, well, like, well, who's fucking around and also publicizing it? And you know, so to some degree, there's these biohackers, but really it comes down to, I think the furries are going to be the ones at the tip of the spear because they want to show off that, oh, I changed my skin to purple or I, I added, you know, gills or some, some shit, right? Like they're the ones who are going to be doing it and doing it publicly and hopefully sharing the, the methods, the, the, the vectors for, for doing it. Furries. Oh, the, it's, the transhumanism is it's coming, man. And, uh, they're just gonna make it a little bit more mainstream. Not not initially, but the, you, well, the other side of it though is is uh the mRNA vaccine seems to have been uh, a way for everyone to become a, a GMO as well. <laughs> they didn't tell you that it was going to do that, but uh they're like, no, it doesn't integrate into the genome. It doesn't, it doesn't stick around, but it seems like it did stick around for a lot of people and stuck around for uh, some people. Yeah. Yeah. So it does seem like uh, we, we inadvertently did, you know, genetically modify millions of people in a, in a fell swoop. So uh, it's sort of just humanity catching up to this realization that we can do that, right? Like, how do you how do you think about it? Uh, right now, people are very emotionally charged about it one way or the other. But uh, hopefully they become more optimistic once they see that there's uh, there's fun applications and then everyone can get ripped. The furries, the tip of the spear of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really worried still about like the photosatin in particular is that you have people who like, they appear to be really solid. Like, oh, you've been going to the gym a lot. But at the end of the day, if your diet still sucks and, you, and you're still Whoa. kind of like, you're rotting away on the inside, like, does it, it doesn't You can feel take right steroids. It's not going to make you ripped unless you do the work. Mm the follow seems well i don't have enough data yet to say but it seems to be effective regardless of whether or not you're working out it might be more effective if you do work yeah, out yeah 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 but i mean it's just in general you have this like outwardly appearing we're beautiful situation but then the inward that doesn't match with what's going on inside and you can huh. have that be like literally like the metabolic processes are fucked up they have diabetes or something but also like metaphysically spiritually do you match what's going on on the outside too? And I, I, I don't, I don't think that uh, humanity is ready for that conversation yet. But uh, hopefully, they'll, they'll catch up in time. You've got hair all over your body and a snout, but you still have a dark soul. Yeah. Well, are you actually a playful puppy, or are you just pretending to be one? You're actually an asshole deep down inside. <laughs> <laughs> you want people to pet you, but uh, God, you shouldn't be pet. You mm, got some work to do. Um, all right i got one more question for you here tristan prediction markets for drug discovery what is this all about because i'll and let me preface this by saying prediction markets like i first became aware of them when like darpa was doing like prediction markets for major world events and even they dropped the program because you know as soon as you put betting markets out on assassinations you might start you know encouraging outcomes Okay. Okay. Yes. So basic context rate is prediction markets. You're betting against other people for certain outcomes and there's different ways of, of doing it. Some of them, you kind of have like a trusted uh, person say what the outcome was. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can sort of be an ongoing evolution of what is true or not true. Uh, right now there's a, a fairly popular site called manifold markets 
I recommend checking out that uh, they use play money, but they're planning on eventually getting into real money. And in that system, the person who poses the question sets the time and then they decide at the end of it which side is the is the right side. Yeah. So like like to your point, right? Sometimes you you get to the point where you're incentivizing certain outcomes. Like if you if you say Trump's going to be elected in this year, but then you kill him before he can get elected, then you win, right? <laughs> so you can eventually kind of create a situation where real life actions can can be profitable, even though no one paid you to actually assassinate him, but you're still getting money for it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, with with drug discovery, though, I think it's a little bit less of a, a hazard uh, morally. But it, the bigger problem, let's, let me frame it in terms of like, there's all of this knowledge that people are generating where maybe they and their, their friend or their parent has tried out some experimental treatment, but because they don't work at the National Science Foundation and they don't work in pharma venture capital, there's no way for them to turn that experience, that knowledge into anything of value. Mm -hmm. And so there's both the personal value of being able to like make some money off of that, but also the bigger value of like society finding out like, oh yeah, this treatment that we didn't know really about is actually really effective for this for this the situation. And is this market like a bounty where somebody would post a bounty on develop a thing for this? Or is it like, it's not going to happen in 10 years and we're holding the money in escrow versus I think it will? I'm not sure how it's going to play out quite yet, but my my basic what I what I I've been imagining in my head is that uh, at some point, if it becomes certain enough that like, oh, 98 percent of the people say this is effective against this treat for this treatment. Right. Then at that point, you would take the capital, the ether, the whatever's locked mm -hmm. in that market and then deploy it to beat a DAO or some other DAO to commercialize it and start doing a phase one trial. I see. So it's sort of like gated rewards. So it's like bounties that are gated on particular criteria to move a uh, a therapeutic through a process. Yes. I mean, initially, it's, you have a lot of people who are potentially gaining reputation for being uh, precognizant uh in in these prediction markets they have a lot of experience and knowledge or they've, they've tried things out and so th i think there's a, some amount of value in just everyone knowing oh that guy know if he says that's true then it probably is true there's some value to that already but it's not yeah. it's not monetizable it's not directly monetizable but if you start off with that and then you have uh more and more people betting and there's sort of a a, a back and forth uh, and it's not really clear what the answer is yeah. Yeah. That becomes a lot more complicated because you have you have the Oracle issue there. Like who who makes the decision whether something's true or not? I, I in these markets, I'd see them sort of being ongoing until it gets to enough certainty that they sort of vote to decide to, to do a phase one trial. Mm -hmm. um, but what I love about the situation where there are both pro and against it and, and there's sort of a debate is that if there's money on each side of the question, then it makes sense for a research team that is perhaps a group of biohackers to go and do an experiment. And before they publish their results, they take a position on the market. And then like two minutes later, they're like, hey guys, it turns out it does work. And then everybody else yeah. follows them right afterwards because people trust them. It But it only works 
if that biohacking research team or whatever, they have a reputation that if they fake the answer, the results, they will lose more from that reputation loss and they can gain from fucking with that market. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's a what, and this solves a huge problem in science right now, which is that almost every time a group is doing some sort of pharmaceutical biomedical research, they know what answer they want to get. And that pushes things in a very corrupting way. And so if we have a chance to have research teams that legitimately can make money, if it's for or against it, that adds a huge amount of trust uh, and, and value to the system. And then hopefully there's some way of, of taking that money and interest, that attention, and then using it to then go commercialize it. Or if it can't be patented, then to go and like make a bulk order. And now everyone who participated can like buy it in that bulk order or something. Cause now they, they know that it does actually work. How do I get paid though? How do I make money betting against something though? Like how okay. does that work? So there's, there's one model of that I've seen where there's kind of like a, a curve. And like, if you are early in and you're saying, oh, that's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. More people come after you saying that's a bad idea. Then you can exit from the market, and the rate that you exit at it is is a is beneficial. You get more when you exit out of it than you put in because the rate has changed. Okay, so I've changed like the odds or something like that that allow me to sell uh, to sell off at a, a better multiple. There's this concept of bonded curves that were popular for a while, and okay. I think that they will see a resurgence uh, with these prediction markets where it's like. If you are one of the first people who who takes a stand and says that this is good or this is bad, uh, then later on you can like exit the market because there's like an automated market maker, right? That you can mm-hmm. always cash in or cash out. But the rate at which you cash in or cash out depends on what other people are saying about it. Yeah. So if yeah. you're right before other people, then you can cash out and gain profit. Gotcha. I mean, I, I understand how that like works in like election markets, right? You have, you have the going rate of, you know, three to one, four to one, what have you. And you just, you sell your share for whatever the rate was and you'd made money if it, you know, the share is higher multiple or lost if it's a lower multiple. Um, Becomes a little less clear to me how that works when you have uh, something like that. I just don't know exactly how it's judged, but I guess yeah, I, I directionally, I, I understand it, I think. The bonded curve doesn't necessarily have to terminate. It can always mm-hmm. mean people can enter or leave that automated market. And so if, if you are just early on, or if you like get results that show that it was a really bad idea, it has terrible side effects, mm-hmm. and you like take your position first, you, you buy into the market, release your data, or let other people find out themselves that it is a bad idea. And then later on, you can leave the market and, and hopefully gain some profit. And so that way there's like a motivation for both people being for and against something rather than just like, yeah, let's pump it to the moon, which is yeah. not what you want to do with experimental biomedicine. Right. Right. Cool. Well, Tristan, what else should we be talking about here? Whew. Is there anything else you want to get into? Hmm. Tristan, this was a lot of fun. I'm so glad you came on. Really interesting conversation. I'm glad I got to meet you. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation as well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot. I will 
We'll chat soon, I hope. Take care, my man. For sure. Cheers.